Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. You might have thought as we were reading that passage out loud, that says body armor. And that is kind of a more, uh, kind of more modern translation. And I'm going to refer to it as the breastplate so that we keep the picture of the Roman uh, soldiers and their armor in our mind. I don't want to call it body armor because there's an entire industry of body armor that exists today. You can buy it for different, you know, that, to protect yourself, you know, like bulletproof vests and things like that. You know, certain calibers of bullets, it'll, it'll make sure the stopper guarantees a stop. So I'm not going to talk about body armor tonight. I'll be talking about the breastplate um, so we can kind of keep our mind in line of what we're thinking about. So the breastplate was a, was a metal, um, basically, think of a metal jacket that would be worn by the Roman soldiers. It was, um, uh, it was, it went through several iterations, and we'll talk about it here in a second. But I want to give you a couple of facts about the breastplate, so you can kind of get an idea in your head of what this might look like. So the first line in your notes, uh, it being the breastplate, was worn over a tunic that was normally red in color. Normally red in color. Now. All of, those, all of them weren't red, and the truth be told, if, they were, if the red one ripped and you had to go get a new one and didn't have time to dye it, you would wear a white one. And then there are some, there are some uh, different colors that were worn by different areas of the soldier, uh, different areas of the Roman military. Think in, um, in, in, you know, think in our modern translation, like um, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Army, and each of them have different color kind of a thing. Uh, the naval, um, the naval brigade or division of the of the um, Roman army typically wore like purple, like a darker blue one. <clears throat> and so, but most of them were normally red in color. These tunics that they would wear underneath the breastplate. Next on your notes, they chose this color since the dye was made from readily available flowers and was very inexpensive. Readily available flowers and was very inexpensive. So even back then. People were watching the cost of things. <clears throat> um, the breastplate, next line in your notes, the breastplate went through several iterations, but developed into segmented metal, segmented metal in Jesus' lifetime. It was very expensive to make and repair. <clears throat> so the, the first iteration of the breastplate, um, anybody in here seen the movie Lord of the Rings? You seen that one? Um, if not, just... Pretend you did. Watch it when you go home. It's, it'll only take you, you know, till Thursday to get through all of them. But they they started with chainmail, and you've seen. And the reason I reference that because you've seen uh, most of those guys in that movie wear something like that. There are little pieces of metal that were clamped inside other little pieces of metal to create this garment, almost like this cloak that would hang over your shoulders, part of your arms, your chest, and your back, um, to try to prevent you know, arrows and swords and things like that from stabbing you as a soldier. The only problem was they weren't good at preventing things from stabbing and, and piercing and, and wounding the soldier. So they went through a little different density of metals. They went through a couple of different iterations. And at one point, the, the, this breastplate was 35 pounds by itself that they would wear across their shoulders. And then eventually... Um, it became this segmented metal. So if you would think in your mind just about pieces of metal that are kind of overlapping, like giant scales almost, um, that is kind of what the, the breastplate 
how the design was. It was a third of the weight. It's only weighed about 10 or 12 pounds as opposed to 35. And they would wear it and it would actually connect to the belt. And the reason it connected to the belt is so the weight of it could, be, um, could also be um, uh, kind of held up by your hips and not just only your shoulders. Um, because there was a lot of grueling, um, a lot of grueling routines they would have to go through for training, kind of like basic training for military today. They had to go through a, a ton of training and carrying all this stuff. So they tried to make it as light as possible. Um, these were designed to kind of cover your shoulders and part of your arms. So it's you know on here on champ football championship Sunday. It's apropos to kind of point towards this. They almost were kind of like modern day football pads only a little bit longer, they went down the torso and didn't stop right in the middle of the chest. The idea was that if someone got hit by something or someone knocked them over, that they would, that the, the, the force that would hit, like in the, in, if it was in your shoulder, it would spread out across, um, it spread out across the armor, so the blow wasn't as hard to maybe not knock you over or pierce your armor, okay? Um, and the last thing is the breastplate covered all vital organs. Next line in your notes, vital organs. The breastplate covered all vital organs. I found this interesting. We, we, um, in the end of that passage, it talks about how the shield of faith ext um, extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the enemy. Um, the breastplate was specifically designed so that if an arrow got past your shield, and hit the soldier in the upper body, it would not pierce it or penetrate it. So if something got past the shield and hit that breastplate, it might ding it, it might leave just a tiny little hole, but it would not go through and injure the soldier. <clears throat> so that's what the breastplate is in this context. Um, the, the church that he's writing to in Ephesus, they're very aware of what the, what the Roman army um, uh, uh, armor looks like. They're very aware of it, and uh, it's very familiar to them. So he's using something they understand. <clears throat> so that's what the breastplate is physically. So when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, as I'm going through this and starting to go, okay, well, let's define what this is. I need to look what the breastplate is and what, its function, but also we need to look at what is righteousness. What is righteousness? So our modern, our modern dictionary definition of righteousness, next line your notes, is behavior that is morally justifiable or correct. Behavior that is morally justifiable or correct. <clears throat> now, this is kind of close to what the definition in, um, in Scripture means for this word, um, but doesn't quite go far enough. Okay, so the, uh, the biblical word for righteousness, I put it in your notes in little parentheses, D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. I spell it because I don't know how to pronounce that. It looks like I just ran my knuckles across the keyboard and just came up with something, but it's a real word, I promise. So this is the original word in Greek, and it, here's the definition. Uh, number one, um, next on your notes, in a broad sense, it's the condition acceptable to God. The condition acceptable to God. Okay. The second definition of that word is the doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved of God. Approved of God. And that third definition is integrity, virtue, that next line, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Okay? 
So this word here, a righteousness, if we're going to have the breastplate of righteousness, we're going to have to understand what righteousness is. And these three definitions kind of paint a bigger picture than just behavior that's morally justifiable. It is the condition that we can be in where we are acceptable to God. It's the way in which we attain that state approved by God. And then it deals with our behavior, integrous, virtuous, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and actions. Okay? <clears throat> so the question here is, and we know what the breastplate is. We know what the Bible defines righteousness as. So the question here is, are human beings righteous in themselves? No. We are not. And you might go, why are we not righteous in his sight? Because a perfect, holy God requires perfect, holy people to be in his presence. And you and I both are not, me at the, first, uh, at the front of the list, are not perfect and holy. So we are not righteous. Now, I'm going to, and you might go, well, I feel like I'm doing okay in my life, Matt. I'm kind of good. Okay, well, let's see what um, the Bible says about human beings and their righteousness. So um, the prophet Isaiah is from the Old Testament, and uh, the, he is speaking for God to the nation of Israel. nation of Israel is just acting a fool. They are rebelling against God, doing whatever they want. They're ignoring all the stuff that, all the commandments. They're ignoring all, this, all the directions God's given them. They're ignoring everything, okay? And Isaiah comes through and describes, describes what their behavior looks like to God. Now, let me pause here for a second. He's talking to Israel, but he's talking about all humanity when they sin. So, I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'm going to dig in deeper into what this means. And if you are a squeamish, uh, you visualize everything in your mind, this might be a time to kind of turn that off real quick because uh, it, it gets pretty gross. So I'm just, just, everybody take a breath. We're going to go down this road, and uh, we're going to say what the prophet Isaiah says, not me. <laughs> I'm going to lay this right on Isaiah. And we're going to see what he talks about when he talks about our righteousness, our behavior, our condition towards God. Okay? Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Now you might go, that wasn't so bad just like a dirty rag and, you know, it's just like an infection. We understand what that is. Well, as I got into my study this week, started getting some commentaries and some scholars and seeing what he's talking about here, um, it gets pretty graphic, okay? So next on your notes, Isaiah likens sin to an infection. Bible scholars believe he is referring to the disease of leprosy. I'll spell that for you. L-E-P-R-O-S-Y. I spell it because I've had to change it about eight times in the last four days. L-E-P-R-O-S-Y, leprosy. <clears throat> okay. 
So I went to the most trusted name in medical, uh, I'm totally joking, the CDC. I went to the CDC's website, description of, of, of leprosy, right? And, it's, and it has a new name. It's been given a new name. Leprosy has been given a new name in modern times. It's called Hansen's disease. Now, I thought Hansen's disease was me listening to them long-haired kids who sang 20 years ago. Mm, bop, dun, 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 dun. I thought that was Hansen's disease, but I couldn't figure it, or forget that song, but that was... Dad jokes, my bad. Okay, <clears throat> so this is, what, this is what Hansen's disease is. It's leprosy. Now, if you think you've kind of heard a little bit about leprosy, like people have to walk down the street and yell unclean, that's what I heard as a kid, and they had to do that. But let's, uh, let's look at exactly the condition of people who have leprosy and Hansen's disease, okay? This disease can affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and lining of the nose. The bacteria attack the nerves, which can, be, can become swollen under the skin. This can cause the affected areas to lose the ability to sense touch and pain, which can lead to injuries like cuts and burns. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. If you have Hansen's disease or leprosy, and you walk through like by a bush that's got a thorn on it, or you scratch yourself on something not realizing it, and the nerves underneath your skin are numb and dead. That cut can open up, and you can just be walking around doing whatever you're doing, bleeding, and have no clue. There's no way for them to feel where that cut was if it was on an, an infected area where the, where the nerves were dead. This nerve, this nerve condition also it would swell up underneath the skin and cause severe rashes, severe redness, and chunks of skin, like dry skin, to fall off because it was um, being impacted by the swelling that was going on underneath the skin with the nerves. Okay? So, ouch. Let's keep going. If left untreated, the nerve damage can result in paralysis of hands and feet. In very advanced cases, the person may have multiple injuries due to lack of sensation, and eventually, here you go, the body may reabsorb the affected digits, toes and fingers, over time, resulting in the apparent loss of toes and fingers. Corinal ulcers, like in your eyeball, and blindness can occur if facial nerves are affected. Other signs of advanced Hansen's disease may include loss of eyebrows, Saddle nose deformity resulting from damage to the nasal septum. <clears throat> so, if you have leprosy or Hansen's disease, you got this nasty nerve problem underneath the skin. Your skin's red. There's chunks of it that, like, that, are, that are flaking off because it's so dry and just falling off. You can't tell if you're cut. You can't tell if you're bleeding. You've got all these bandages on you from you figuring it out by chance or somebody else trying to take care of you. If it's, in your, if it's in your hands and feet, you're limping around because you're slowly losing nerve sensitivity in your feet and hands. Your, your hands start to pull back the bones and muscles for your fingers into themselves to where it looks just like a little nub is at the end. So people go, oh my gosh, your fingers just fell off. The same thing happens with your toes. And then if it's in your face, you could be going blind. You could be having ulcers in your cornea. And 
the, the septum, the bone, like, or that kind of that cartilage piece that's in the middle of your nose that separates your left nostril and your right nostril, begins to fail and implode, and your nose becomes severely disfigured. Okay. Now, if you saw somebody, your first reaction would, would hopefully be inside. It would be like, oh my gosh, that poor person. But the second one would be, what I just heard over here, is that's nasty, right? Just, I mean, just out of a, just a sheer guttural, I'm back in third grade, oh my gosh, I can't look away. You know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. So the reason that he uses this in this scripture is because everybody's familiar with this disease. They don't have modern medicine and the treatments that we have today because today we can actually reverse some of these effects if it's caught, caught early enough and get rid of the infection and the disease. But so you, he's, there have been people who've been walking around their street, their streets, screaming unclean, bleeding bandage, their noses sunking in, they're, they're, they're blind, they're bumping into things, they're bleeding, they're, they're, it looks like their hands and toes are, 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 are mangled, it looks like their fingers are falling off one at a time, and, they, and they're, it's, a, it's a contagious disease, not nearly as contagious as it was in the past, but it, in their time, there's no treatment for it, they're just, don't get near them. This is the way Isaiah chooses to describe our actions, our behaviors, our sinful life when it's seen by God. Okay? Now, he's trying to paint a morbid picture of what our good deeds look like to God. Then, you could be like, it's pretty gross, man. It's nasty. But then Isaiah decides to go one step further. Now, I would say, some people would say he crosses the line. I would say he just didn't realize there was a line and just drove right off the cliff. And his next example, but this is what he's talking about. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So when you and I think of filthy rags, you probably think of something like I do. Like a cut-up old towel that you use to wash your car if you wash it at home. Um, those rags that you don't use for anything except for, you know, wiping up stuff that's off the ground. You know, it spills on the floor at dinner or when you're cooking in the kitchen. It could even be a rag that you have. You have newborns. Yeah, yeah, see, newborns. Got a couple newborns coming. That where, you know, if there's a blowout, if you don't know what a blowout is, ask a mom because she'll tell you exactly what a blowout is. But there's a blowout, that kind of thing that cleans up all of that. And you go, oh, these are kind of filthy rags, right? These are the rags that we don't really use except for to clean up stuff. This is not... What Isaiah is talking about, okay? I warned you. Both feet jumping in right here. Filthy rags, a reference to the cloth a woman used during her menstrual cycle. The reference to a cloth a woman used during her menstrual cycle. If you're grossed out and disgusted, good job, Isaiah, for effectively communicating his point. This is what he's using to describe our sinful actions and how our deeds look to God. So let me summarize what he's saying here. The sinful actions and thoughts of human beings are hideous, disgusting, disease-ridden filth that look like a used menstrual cloth in the sight of God. Had I said that on my own without reading Isaiah, some of y'all might never come back here. You'd <laughs> be like, bro, I don't want to hear all this no more. I'd be getting emails and letters. 
So when Paul is saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness, do you think the description that we just heard in Isaiah about our righteousness is how we're supposed to clothe ourselves? Because that wasn't a favorable insight to human sinful actions, how they looked like to God. They're not. So if we're not supposed to put on that, which is our righteousness, our good deeds towards God, what are we supposed to put on? He's telling us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the righteousness we're supposed to put on? Romans 3, 19 through 24. <clears throat> um, in this passage, before I read it, let me explain to you one thing. He's going to talk about the law in this passage. When he talks about the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments, um, uh, the 613 laws that were considered the law of Moses, the old school, Old Testament laws of Israel. That's what he's talking about when he talks about law here. Okay? Romans 3, 19 through 24. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who were under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. What he's saying is that law is in place so no one can go, well, I didn't know what the law was. I didn't know what was right and wrong. He lines out right and wrong for you. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Following all the Old Testament rules doesn't put you in a better standing or a better viewpoint with God. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. What was the point of all those laws and all that stuff in the Old Testament? That we would understand right and wrong and be conscious that we don't live that way naturally. We're conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, God's righteousness, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, that portion of scripture right there, if you were grown up in the church I grew up in, that old school Pentecostal church, somebody would have shouted, somebody would have fallen on the floor, somebody would be Jericho marching around the building, and somebody would be doing that little Holy Ghost jig, right? They would just be up in arms. Why? Because your righteousness looks like what we described from Isaiah, but when you become a believer in Christ, when you become a believer in him, you are born again, God gives his perfect righteousness as a covering for you. So when you are judged at the end of time, when you stand before him and say, I have no help outside of faith in Jesus, he looks at you and doesn't see that nasty, disease-written, disgusting filth. What he sees is his spotless perfection that covers you. You had 
no way to clean yourself. You had no way to get rid of the disease, the infection of sin yourself. You had no way to purify yourself. You had no way to bring God anything of yourself that was going to show him, I deserve to be here. He knew it, and he said, if you will just have faith in Jesus, not that he lived, but faith in him, then the righteousness of God is going to cover you and he's going to go you get to come with me eternity is yours you are mine that's his righteousness and if you're a believer in this room i don't care how much you've messed up i don't care what you keep you continually struggle with i don't care how bad your thoughts are god will help you through those there are some things that we're going to look at here that's going to improve behavior but giving your life to jesus is not behavior modification it is a realization that i cannot get to him on my own and i need a covering i need to be quote unquote washed in the blood i need the spotless lamb to give me his father's righteousness so i can go be with him in heaven forever god did not come to make good people or bad people good he came to make dead people alive and you have been brought to new life if you are a believer in jesus now next on your notes the perfect righteousness of god is freely given to every single person who has faith in jesus christ the perfect righteousness of God is given freely to every single person who has faith in Jesus Christ. So now, so I believe in Jesus, I got his righteousness, and now whatever I do is good, right? Uh-uh. Now there's a process of you growing, rejecting sin, pushing it away. So, how do I put on the breastplate? Well, you give your life to Jesus and you're covered in his righteousness, but how do I put on this breastplate of righteousness that Paul's talking about? Next line in your notes, letter A. Put on God's way of thinking. Put on God's way of thinking. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise if you are going to grow and mature and follow the the direction of almighty god then he is telling us here watch what goes in your head you are not responsible for the thought that comes into your head because some of them don't come from you you are responsible for what you do with it so if we are going to have our behavior be pure, virtuous, and so on down the line, like we, look, we read that earlier definition, if we're going to have that, we're going to have to look at this and say, is the, are the thoughts I'm thinking right now true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable? If I plugged a cord like the matrix into the back of my head and walked around with a television screen advertising what was going on up here and what i was doing with them and categorizing them for the world to see would someone say i was growing in his righteousness or not i have got to be in control of what i think you are not at the mercy of your thoughts 
You're not. The Spirit of God, if you're a believer, lives inside of you, and his power should be coming out of you. You should be growing in the fruits of the Spirit. And the last one is self-control. Control that mind. Letter B, the second one. Put on God's way of acting. Put on God's way of acting. <clears throat> James and John were two disciples of Jesus who were, who were talking about their position in heaven, you know, at the end of time. Who do they get to rule over? And they're thinking, you know, rulers like we think from a human perspective. But listen to what happens here. Matthew 20, 24 through 28. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John asked, they were indignant, angry. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life away as a ransom for many. When we put on God's way of acting, we put that on, what are we doing? I'm going to make sure that I'm following in my Savior's footsteps and making sure that the, the, the purpose of my life is serving other people. Because the God I serve came through and said, uh, I'm putting all that away. All that you should serve me doesn't exist here. I'm come to serve you. Our goal is serving other people. Letter C in your notes. How do we put on the breastplate? We use the teachings of Jesus to define morality. <clears throat> we use the teachings of Jesus to define morality. This is pretty clear. It doesn't say the teachings of TikTok to define morality. Yay! I got a TikTok reference in there today. Bam! Um, okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. <clears throat> Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols commit adultery or male prostitutes, practice homosexuality or thieves or are greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Were we made right by doing quote-unquote good things? No, because our righteousness, our doing right, is as filthy rags. We became in right standing with God by having faith in him and allowing his definition of morality to be ours. He becomes the center point. He becomes the compass. His word becomes the foundation. He becomes the filter we run everything through. Am I supposed to do fill in the blank, put it through his word, and if it comes out the other end, then sure. But if this filtered it out, I would leave it alone. That's how we're going to put on righteousness. The last one, letter D, live in the way that scripture guides us. Live in the way scripture, scripture guides us. <clears throat> how does the scripture guide us? Matthew seven twelve. 
do unto others how, whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are two very um, uh, repetitive scriptures here at RCC. Why? Because our goal is to love him, love each other, and go love the world. And I'm not talking about that cushy kind of love. I'm talking about love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. It delights when the truth wins out, not when evil is spoken. It always protects, always uh, trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about love. So, there are two sides to the coin when it comes to God's righteousness. The next line of your notes. God's righteousness is both given to us and infused in us. I forgot which, comment, which commentary I stole that out of, but I just took it right as my own. I forgot to even get him credit on there. But God's righteousness is both given to us and infused on us, in us. So, <clears throat> the righteousness of God the righteousness of God is given to us through faith that cloak that makes us righteous with him in right standing with him and then it's infused in us so it changes our behavior so we grow closer and closer in resemblance to him with our words thoughts and actions that's righteousness. How do we put that on? Faith in him. And the other side of the coin that's going to be infused in us so that we can begin to change is what? We're going to put on the way he thinks. Put on the way he acts. Let his word define morality for us and then live as the way the scripture guides us. That's how you put that on. The breastplate of righteousness stays in place because it connects to the belt of truth. You cannot develop your own sense of righteousness outside of what Scripture gives us because last, last week we talked about what is truth. It is God, it is Jesus, it is his spirit, and it is his word. Every bit of what we think is right and wrong, what are we going to do, what are we not going to do, what becomes that filter, what becomes that compass, has to be rooted and connected to truth. If not, if not, Isaiah made it very clean, very clear what our good deeds look like. And I won't go back through that. The breastplate protects us as the enemy tries to lay traps against us through temptation and circumstances. The breastplate does, con does cover your vital organs, but one of the most important it covers is your heart. See, long before behavior needs to change, your heart needs to change. 
when you submit your life to God, when you say, I'm going to live, think, act your way, you are the only way to heaven. My faith is in him. When that becomes a reality for you, doesn't change your behavior instantly. In some cases it may, because you may know a little bit of what's right or wrong, but you recognize what's right and wrong because not here, but this changed. You've been your, let me give you a scriptural um, metaphor, analogy for that. Your heart of stone has been changed into a heart of flesh and not a fleshly heart, but one that is soft and responsive to the gospel and not hard against it. This way of thinking, way of acting, defining morality, and the way the scripture does, living in the way that God guides us to live, this becomes a way we protect the transformed heart that God has given us. It's connected to truth. Let me say one more thing about it. When I was little, um, I was told that the breastplate of righteousness uh, only had one side. It was only in the front. And the reason for that is because you're always supposed to be advancing, never retreating. Uh, that's not true. It actually has two sides to it. It protects your front and back. Now, the first part where it only protects your front, you're always supposed to be charging forward and don't ever run from the enemy. And that's where the organ screams and we all hoot and holler and stuff. That's a great preacher trick. But the truth is it connects all the way around you. So if you have a moment of weakness and run, your God has not abandoned you. The righteousness of God can still cover you. The righteousness of your life that has been infused with the Spirit of God can change forever what protects the transformed heart. That's how we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Notice there's no reference here to anybody doing this alone. The breastplate was wildly expensive to build and repair and was fitted for each soldier. And the cost of us being given God's righteousness was wildly expensive. It cost the life of Jesus. That should leave us in a position of so much gratitude. I had no way to fix it. And a God who didn't need me came and gave me something to make me right with him when I never had a way to make it right on my own. And then on top of that, he's given me a way to not only survive, but to fight and move ahead in the areas he directs us to move into. And it's becoming more and more clear every day why God would tell this group of people through his word and impress the, on the heart of the teacher to teach about this 
because we're going to go march somewhere. And we all need to be equipped before we go do that.